0: Good morning. It's good to be with you all and to have this opportunity to open up God's word together. I want to invite you to join me again in one more brief word of prayer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. There's nowhere else for us to turn. As we turn to you now, we pray that you would grant the spirit and to work in our hearts to bring faith deeper faith greater love for you and for one another. And we pray this in your mighty name. Amen. All right friends, I want to invite you to go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be considering chapter 1 verse 22 all the way through chapter 2 verse 3 today as we continue our study in First Peter. As always, I want to encourage you to open to the passage so that you can follow along as I read it in a few moments. And I also want to encourage you to keep the passage open in front of you as we'll be looking at it often in our time together. In the first half of chapter 1 of First Peter, Peter describes the glorious salvation that God has accomplished for his people. Then in verse 13, he transitions And that transition marks a change to him giving instructions on how we should live in light of that glorious salvation that God has accomplished for us. So if you look at verse 13, you can just let your eyes fall there real quick. In verse 13, we see that we're to set our hope fully on Jesus. Verse 15, we're to be holy as God is holy. And verse 17, we're to conduct ourselves with fear. And in our passage this morning, Peter gives us another instruction for how we should live in light of the glorious salvation that God has accomplished for us. So go ahead and follow along with me as I read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses, verse 22, all the way through chapter 2, verse 3. This is God's word. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. We're in week two of a three-week series of looking at these verses. Last week, we considered how the Word of God is the power of God for salvation. We saw that in verses 22 to 25. And next week, we'll consider how the word of God is the power of God for sanctification. And we'll see that in chapter two, verses two and three. This week, we're gonna consider the command to love one another. If you're taking notes, the main point Peter is making here is that those who have received new life in Christ should love one another. Those who have received new life in Christ should love one another. That's going to be our one and only point today. I'm going to spend some time just briefly unpacking that from the text, and then we're going to talk about what this love should look like in action. So I said the main point is that those who have received new life in Christ should love one another. Where do we see that in the text? Well, I want you to notice first that Peter is addressing those Who have received new life in Christ. Look at verse 22 again with me. In verse 22, he says about his audience that their souls had already been purified by their obedience to the truth, right? We said that last week that that refers to when the the audience believed the gospel. When they put their faith in the good news of Jesus Christ, they were purified or cleansed. Then if you look at verse 23, Peter says that these believers had been born again already. God, by his spirit and power, had given them new life when they put their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Now, I want you to notice what a chief purpose of this new life is. Look again at verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for... A sincere, brotherly love. Peter is talking telos here. Greek, in, in Greek, the word telos refers to the fulfillment, the completion, the goal or aim of a particular thing. And a goal or aim of new life in Christ is sincere, brotherly love. A while back, my sister Julie bought our son Knox a Lego Technics. This is one of those newfangled Legos that, upon completion, turns into a remote control vehicle. It's honestly amazing. Once you're done building it, you download an app, and you can control it with Bluetooth from the app. And it does all sorts of things. It has belt-controlled wheels, kind of like a tank. And on one side, it has the frame of a race car, and then on the bottom side, it looks like a giant truck. It can flip over, and it can do all sorts of crazy stuff. I had to exercise uh, self-control, not to rip the controller out of my son's hand so that I could play with it myself. But here's why I'm bringing that up. When my sister bought that Lego Technics for my son, Knox, her goal was his joy. It wasn't the Lego itself. It was that through building the Lego he would experience the joy that came with playing the Lego, playing with the Lego, and he did. In a similar way, friends, a goal of our salvation is not just the experience of salvation itself. A goal of our salvation is that we might love one another. Love for others, especially other Christians, fulfills in part the ends for which we were saved. Our souls were purified for this very purpose. We were given new life in Christ in part for the purpose of loving other believers. Those who have received new life in Christ should love one another, which is why Peter goes on in verse 22 to say, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Right, you were saved for sincere brotherly love, and so love one another earnestly from a pure heart. We were saved for love, and so we're expressly called to love, and specifically to love one another. Right, scripture is clear Christians are called to love all people, we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. But Peter is focusing here on our relationships with other Christians and specifically with other Christians in the local church that we're a part of. If you think back to the beginning of the letter, Peter is writing to Christians who are in Cappadocia, Galatia, Bithynia, and Asia. He's not telling the believers in Galatia to love the believers in Asia in the same way that he's telling the believers in Galatia to love the other believers in Galatia whom they're in relationship with, right? We're to, we're to love all Christians throughout the world. But that love most clearly manifests itself in a local body of believers where we love one another. Those who have received new life in Christ should love one another. But it's here that we have to ask a question. If we're gonna rightly apply this passage, we have to ask the question, What is love? I don't know about you, but whenever I ask that question, I'm just going to admit this. Whenever I ask that question, what is love? I I have to sing it, and then I, I inevitably say, baby, don't hurt me, don't hurt me no more. Peter wasn't thinking that, but I'm just, I'm confessing that to you. All week, I have been asking the question, what is love? And the first words that come to my mind are, baby, don't hurt me. If you've never heard that song, don't worry about it. You're not missing out. But we have to understand what love is if we're going to rightly apply this passage, right? The world would have us believe that love is nothing more than an emotion, right? That's one of the definitions of love in the world. So to love is to feel a particular way about a person. It's to feel maybe warm and fuzzy towards them or passionate about them. And if you don't Feel those feelings for that person, you must not love them. Another definition, and I think a more dangerous one, even though that's not a good definition, another definition is that the world would have us believe that love is unconditional acceptance and affirmation of a person's desires. Right? On this view, and I think this is more common in the world today, people are their desires. Their essence as a human is wrapped up in their desires. And so to love a person requires not just accepting them for who they are, but also affirming them and encouraging them in the greatest possible expression of those desires, whatever those desires may be. You hear this type of love in phrases like, follow your heart, be true to yourself. You do you, right? That's why opposition to the expression of those desires, however kind and well-reasoned that opposition may be, is viewed as hateful because you're opposing who the person is because they are one with their desires, right? And those expressing opposition are accused of being bigots. On this view, you can't love a person and disagree with them. But neither of those definitions, let's call that love as emotion, or love as affirming uh, and accepting a person's desires, none of those definitions is what Peter is talking about here. Neither of those definitions matches what the Bible means when it calls us to love one another. We're not being called to have warm, fuzzy, good feelings towards others, though it's great if those feelings line up from time to time, nor are we being instructed to encourage each other to express our desires, whatever those desires may be. Now, I assume that for those of you who have been a Christian for any length of time, those definitions are not surprising to you. Like, yeah, of course, those definitions don't line up with the Bible. But rather, if you've been a Christian for some time, I think what you likely need to notice about this command is what Peter doesn't say, Notice that when you look down at verse 22, Peter doesn't say, tolerate one another from a pure heart. Neither does he say, put up with one another from a pure heart. Nor does he say, endure one another from a pure heart. He says, love one another from a pure heart. The local church The community of born-again believers, of people who have received new life through faith in Jesus Christ, should be known by our love for each other. And the love that we show one another is to be modeled after and motivated by Christ's love for us, right? Think of Jesus' words in the Gospel of John, "'A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. "'Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. "'Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another.'" There can be no doubt that Jesus' words here in the Gospel of John are echoing in Peter's mind as he writes this command to love one another from a pure heart. Have sincere brotherly love marking your relationships with one another. And how? If we are going to love one another as Jesus has loved us, how did he love us? Think about what the Gospel teaches about his love. Jesus loved us by pursuing us. If you look down at 1 Peter chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 22 to 25, you're going to see that Peter goes on to cite Isaiah chapter 40, where he describes the fleeting nature of man's life. And last week, as we looked at this passage, we looked at those verses and saw that the broader context of that citation from Isaiah chapter 40 is crucial for us to understand because the broader context predicts the good news of God's coming salvation, That good news in Isaiah would be marked by God in his mercy not leaving us in our bondage to sin, but pursuing us in order to deliver us from our bondage to sin. And when he pursues us, Isaiah says it will be like God is coming to tend his flock like a shepherd. That God would pursue us to gather his lambs in his arms, that he would carry them close to his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Jesus came pursuing us as the good shepherd. He came to pursue us in love. He pursued us like a shepherd pursues his lost, straying, and endangered sheep in order to deliver them to safety. Yet his love, we know in the gospel, didn't stop with his pursuing us. He did much more than just pursue us, right? He loved us and pursued us to the point of death. He literally died to save us. So great was his love for us. I mean, think even what Peter is going to go on to tell these Christians in chapter 2. That Jesus, that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed for we were all straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, came to tend his flock by dying for our sins, by bearing the punishment that we deserve so that we could be rescued from judgment, so that we could be ransomed from sin and delivered from death unto eternal life. Just as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. Friends, Jesus' is pursuing love, his sacrificial love, his love even for those who gave him plenty of reasons not to love them is the model and the motivation for how you and I are to love one another in the local church. It's the motivation, it's the engine for our love because the new life that God has given us in the gospel is nothing less than the imperishable seed of God's own spirit who now lives in us that Peter is talking about here. The spirit of Christ who died for us while we were still sinners now lives and dwells in us that we might display his love to the world in the ways that we, might, in the ways that we love one another, right? What did Jesus go on to say in the gospel of John? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Those who have received new life in Christ should love one another. Friends, there are so many different ways that we can apply this passage. We could spend all day coming up with specific examples in each of our lives about how we can love one another. What I want us to do instead of coming up with a bunch of different examples is instead highlight aspects of Christ's love for us that have the power to give shape to all the different ways that we can love one another. Then we're gonna consider briefly chapter two, verse one about putting off behaviors that undermine love. The first aspect of Christ's love that should inform our love for one another is that his love is a pursuing love. Think again of the broader context of Isaiah 40. Isaiah predicts the coming of the Lord, the appearing of the glory of the Lord, and the coming of the Lord to gather his flock. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. The entire story of the Bible from beginning to end, culminating in God sending his son to die and rise again for sinners, is a story of God's pursuing love. God didn't sit back and wait for sinners to cry out for salvation. God didn't sit back and say, if you need anything, let me know. He said, I see you, and I see that you are in need. You need a Savior, and so I am sending a Savior. I'm going to take care of all that you need. I'm going to fulfill the law on your behalf, die the death that you deserve, and then I'm going to give you a new heart to receive all that I have done for you. Loving one another just as Jesus has loved us entails pursuing one another. It entails an active awareness and scanning of the environment and the people around us looking for opportunities to love. Right. It means we have our eyes open, our ears open, and our hearts open. Right. We're, we're, we're not just waiting for opportunities to love to come to us. We're actively looking for those opportunities to show the love of Christ to each other. And I want you to think about this. Pursuing one another in love will also impact our conversations, right? Pursuing one another in love calls us to move past superficial niceties to deeper knowledge, deeper pursuit, right? You might ask the standard question, how are you doing? And then you wait for the standard response, I'm doing fine. And then after you hear that standard response, you can say something like, how are you really doing? See what, see what comes there. You're pursuing them in conversation. How are you really doing? And if, the, if it comes back fine, great. But you might also dive a little bit deeper and ask, what's hard in life right now? In, in what ways are you struggling in life right now? What, what are areas for prayer in your life right now? We want to move towards other people in love By pursuing them. When we pursue deeper conversations, we will inevitably encounter needs, whether those are spiritual or material needs. And when we encounter those needs, we then have the opportunity to meet those needs by serving one another in love, whether practically with material needs or think about it spiritually in terms of prayer, Right, You and I are not going to be able to meet the physical or tangible material needs of everyone in the congregation, but we serve a God who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. And so we can pray on behalf of those who are in need as well, even if we can't help tangibly. So if somebody is in need of something, maybe it's a financial need and you can't meet that need, you can be praying to the Lord who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and asking him, Lord, through somebody in this congregation or some other way, could you please meet the need of this family? We move towards one another in love. We find out each other's needs and we seek to serve one another in love. We pursue. We love like Jesus by pursuing one another. And then we love like Jesus by serving one another. Think again of Jesus' description of his ministry For the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' love for us looked like him dying for us. And just as he has loved us, so we are to love one another. Now, obviously, you and I can't die for one another's sins. Our lives don't have the power to pay for someone else's sins. But we can seek to serve one another in ways that displays Christ's love for us, right? Maybe you've learned about a member who has a difficult uh, doctor's visit coming up and so you serve them by going with them for support. Maybe you know of a member who's unable to mow their own lawn and so you show up on a Saturday without even telling them and you take care of their yard work. Maybe you're aware of a member who's in financial need You've been wanting to buy, you know, maybe a piece of exercise equipment or some piece of technology that you wanted, but you decide to forego it and give money to the member instead. Or maybe you show up to help members move in or out of their home, right? The list goes on and on here, right? Jesus didn't only talk about serving others. He also served in action. And the way that he served us tells us that at times, the way that we serve one another may come at great cost to us. Peter even indicates this in the passage. I want you to look again at verse 22. Notice he says there, the command is to love one another earnestly. The word earnestly there means stretched or strained. The same word is used to describe Jesus' strained and earnest prayers in the Garden of Gethsemane. Our love for one another, our service to one another is to be strenuous, stretched, and earnest at times. If we only serve when it's convenient to us or in ways that never cost us or impede on us, then we need to consider again the call to sacrificial love, right? If we only love when it's convenient, if we only love when it's comfortable, only when it doesn't cost us anything, then we haven't yet understood as fully and deeply as we ought. The sacrificial love of Jesus calls us to serve one another in ways that hurt at times. This Jesus who shed his blood in service to us and who now calls us away from a life of pursuing our own happiness and needs and into a much more glorious and messy life of looking after and serving the needs of others earnestly. We've seen that loving as Jesus did looks like pursuing others in love, serving others in love. Third, coming out of our comfort zone to love others may also look like, at times, confronting others We love one another by confronting one another if and when we fall into sin. Think about how Jesus loved us this way. Jesus, the light of the world, loved us by confronting us in our spiritual darkness and calling us to repent. Right, if you're not a Christian, we're super glad that you're here and considering the message that uh, that, that you're hearing today from God's word if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is where Christian love is most different from the world's love. As I described earlier, the world world defines love as encouraging others to express themselves, to act on their desires, to be true to themselves. The problem with this, though, according to the Bible, is that being true to ourselves and expressing our desires is the reason the world is the way that it is today. In the beginning... After God created the first man and woman, he gave them one command to live by. He said, if you obey my commands, you will live, but if you disobey them, you will die. And the first man and woman astonishingly chose to follow their heart instead of God's word. They were true to themselves and so brought sin and death into the world. And all mankind has been born in sin ever since which means that our hearts and our desires are not a good guide for how we should live. Our hearts constantly lead us away from God to be our own gods, and because of that, we're under God's judgment. And Jesus came into the world to confront us, to lovingly confront us, to tell us that being true to ourselves is killing us, He died to bear the judgment we deserve for following our own hearts and calls us now to turn away from expressing our desires to a life of self-denial, of putting off and putting away sinful desires by the power of his own spirit. And for those who have repented and received new life, loving one another will at times look like confronting one another if we're straying back into sin. I me mean, think about biblical examples of this. Think of Nathan confronting David for what he did to Uriah and Bathsheba. Think of Paul confronting Peter, the author of our letter, for not living consistently with the gospel. Or the Corinthian church, removing a man who was in an immoral relationship from the church for his own good, that he might repent. Right? Well, what might that look like today? And today, it might look like a husband or wife calling out their spouse sinful patterns of speech toward their children. It may look like uh, privately addressing questionable content on a brother or sister's social media posts. It may look like hearing about another church member being dishonest in the workplace and talking to them about it. Now, obviously, when we talk about confronting others, we want to do this well, right? We in no way want to encourage a culture in which we are policing one another's behavior. We're simply acknowledging at times that we may not live consistently with the gospel and it's a loving thing for other brothers and sisters in Christ to lovingly point that out to us that we might turn away from walking in foolishness and darkness and sin and back towards walking in wisdom and light and righteousness. But if we're going to confront another person for something they've said or done, we also want to think about how to do that well. We want to go into that conversation with a posture of humility. Right, even assuming that we don't know the whole story, right? We want to be asking questions to ensure that we're not missing something or misunderstanding something. And then, it, then if it turns out that something does need to be addressed, we speak the truth in love, right? But again, I want to say here when, when we use the word confront, it may say, sound hostile, but nothing could be further from the truth. All I mean is lovingly pursuing a brother or sister. To call them back to living in conformity with Christ. Right? We we don't confront in order to be right or to gain the upper hand. We confront in love for the other person's good. Right? Going in with that posture of humility. Not only that, but we need to know our own heart. Right? Some of us are bent in different ways. Some of us are more inclined to be quick to to point out things that are wrong, to be quick to be critical, to be quick to confront others. Others of us are more inclined to not ever confront, not ever speak up, right? If you're the type that is quick to confront others, you may wanna hear what I'm saying now and and hear this as uh, me encouraging you to consider overlooking sins and offenses more often. If you're bent in the direction of being quick to confront people, don't hear this as me saying, yes, go do that even more, right? You wanna think about how how am I bent and what, what is my inclination and how might I be quick to, uh, more quick to overlook sins and offenses? But if you're the type who has never spoken up to sharpen another, maybe you need to consider how God has placed you in another person's life to help sharpen them for their good. And this is also instructive for those who are at some point confronted by another Christian for something they've said or done. If someone ever seeks to address sin in your life with you, you should receive that, as a supreme act of love on their behalf. Even if they don't do it well, right? Maybe they don't confront you. Well, maybe, they don't, maybe they don't say the right thing. Maybe what they say is actually kind of offensive and, and misguided. Just the act itself that they are coming to call you back into the light is a supreme act of love itself because they're calling you to live, in, uh, live for God and to love God, right? By far, the easiest thing for them to do would be to overlook the sin in your life or to find some reason not to bring it up with you. If they do bring it up with you, be thankful that they love you enough to at least have the conversation with you. Think of Proverbs chapter 27, verse six. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. It's friends who are willing to speak into our lives. Kids and teens, let me get your attention real quick. This also has something to teach you. If your parents correct you, right, if your parents correct you, it's because they love you. God has given them to you to help guide you towards wisdom and towards righteousness. And because we come into the world as innately unwise and unrighteous, that means parents are often correcting you, especially in the earlier years. I want to encourage you kids to assume the posture of hearing your parents out and genuinely considering why they're correcting you and what they're trying to teach you. Fight against the instinct to immediately argue or get frustrated or get defensive. If you do that, if you can listen to your parents and hear what they're trying to teach you, you are get so far ahead in life. You're, You're learning from the wisdom of those who have gone before you. So we've seen that love pursues, love serves, love confronts, fourth, love also endures. Loving one another as Jesus has loved us means enduring with one another, right? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. We're called to share in God's love for us by loving each other with the same endurance with which God loves us. Peter will even go on to say towards the end of his letter, keep on loving one another earnestly because, he says, love covers a multitude of sins, We love one another by enduring with one another even as we continue to struggle with sin. Just as Jesus forbears with us, endures with us, and continues to love us, when we are faithless, he remains faithful in the same way we're called to love one another by enduring with one another, to keep on loving one another earnestly. Not a one-and-done love, that love that as soon as someone falls short, you're now exempt from having to continue loving them, but loving them even when they don't necessarily deserve it. After all, it was while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. But enduring one another doesn't just refer to struggles with sin, right? But to all of the miscommunications, misunderstandings, mishaps, and whatnot that can happen in a fallen world. It refers to enduring with one another despite different political views, despite different opinions on the best way to address cultural issues, despite different cultural and ethnic backgrounds, which bring with them a host of customs and assumptions that may not be right or wrong in and of themselves, but may create lots of opportunities for misunderstanding and disunity, in the midst of which we're called to endure with one another in love. It's a type of love that persists in patience, kindness, And gentleness, and in hoping all things, enduring all things, and believing all things. This is a question for you. Who are you tempted to not endure with today? Who are you being tempted to give up on? Who are you struggling to love in these ways? Those who have received new life in Christ should love one another. And as we actively seek to love one another the way that Jesus has loved us, that will also look like putting off those behaviors that undermine love. Go ahead and look with me at chapter 2, verse 1. Peter says, So then, because of the call to love, so then, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Peter uses the language of putting away or putting off. Paul, in his letters, describes getting rid of these sins in the same way as putting off old or dirty clothing, as putting off out-of-fashion clothing that needs to be taken off and permanently put away. Right, so each season, after the end of a season, summer, fall, winter, right my wife bags up all the kids' clothing from that season that they've either grown out of or won't be wearing anymore, and then I get the joyful duty of serving her sacrificially by climbing up in the attic to put all these bags away, right? They get put away in the attic not to come out again. That's what Peter is saying about these behaviors. These were fashionable when you were in the world, but now you're no longer in the world, but in the church. And so these articles of clothing, these behaviors need to be taken off and put away permanently, We have to see this list in light of the reality that Peter has already mentioned and that he'll come back to again. He said that we've been born again. He's gonna go on to say that we're being built up as a temple on the cornerstone of Christ. These behaviors were part of our old nature that was controlled by self and sin. These behaviors were consistent with someone who has built their life not on Christ, but who is their own cornerstone. I want you to notice what Peter says to put off. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. In the world, and before we were born again, when we sought to serve ourselves and were our own gods, these behaviors made sense. We were filled with malice, right? Deep anger or opposition or ill will towards another human being, right? Maybe, maybe they have what you want, or there's something that you don't like about them, or you feel threatened by them, and so you'd be filled with malice towards them. Or maybe we were given to to deceit. We wanted people to think more of us, and so we would exaggerate stories. We'd want people to think that we're cooler than we really are, so we embellish accomplishments, minimize failures and shortcomings, or just outright lie about things. Or maybe we were controlled by hypocrisy, right? Being double-minded, two-faced, the opposite of being sincere, right? Saying one thing and doing another. Maybe we were envious controlled by hating others because they had something we wanted, or slanderous, maybe we took shots at people, insulted them behind their back, or subtly sought to lower someone in other people's eyes by dropping in little digs here and there in our conversations. In the world, those things made sense when we were our own cornerstone, our own God, when we were controlled by our own old nature. But now in the church, those who have had new life in Christ need to put off the old self and put away these behaviors and actions and attitudes. Friends, I wonder if if these things are present in your life today. If you would look at this list and see malice in your life. Have you been deceiving friends, family, and coworkers? Are you living a hypocritical double life in any way? Are you envious of others because of what they have? Do you slander others and try to tear others down in the church? Friends, if these things are present in your life, you need to put them away. They're not consistent with or part of the imperishable new life that God has given to us through his son, Jesus Christ. If you see these things in your life, ask God to help you. After the service today, ask God to reveal to you if these things are present in your life. And if they are, ask him for his spirit to help you put them away. Right? For a lot of us, though, this is where we need to focus our efforts on loving others. Not as much on confronting others and things like that, but but on actively putting these things away. Putting anger away. Putting deceit away. Putting envy away. Putting hypocrisy away, putting slander away, putting off the old and putting on the new is a major step in loving others in the church. I want to encourage you to share openly with other Christians who you're close to so that they can be praying as well if you're struggling with any of these things. These are infectious diseases that kill love in a church and threaten our souls, and they're opposed to the imperishable nature God has given you. In Jesus Christ. Ultimately, though, when we talk about love, right, we're talking about the parable of the unmerciful servant. When we think about loving one another the way that Jesus has loved us, when we talk about putting off these behaviors, we're not talking about a list of do's and don'ts, but we're talking about the new life that we have received in Jesus Christ. God sent his son into the world to pay the ransom for our sins by his own precious blood, a ransom price that none of us could pay. We did not have enough money to pay it. There is no ransom by perishable things that could be paid for our sins. But God gave his son to die in our place, to rise again from the dead, and to offer us new life by his spirit. And those who have put our faith in Jesus Christ have been born again by that imperishable seed. So how could we not love one another as Christ has loved us? How could we not put off the old, put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander? Friends, those who have received new life in Christ should love one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray by your imperishable spirit that now dwells in us that you would enable us to love one another as Christ has loved us. Help us to pursue, to serve, to confront when needed, to endure, and help us to put off the old and to put on the new. By your spirit and power, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.